Hey there, I'm Griffin Gonzalez. And I'm Gracie Barra, and this is Hitting Home. A podcast where we're going to dive headfirst into how coronavirus is affecting the lives of people who live right here in Bloomington, from students to faculty to local businesses, and how this world pandemic is changing the way we operate on a day-to-day basis. Now, Grace, we have a full episode today diving into our first episode of how coronavirus is affecting people here at IU. Yeah, we're going to start off with IU spokesperson Chuck Carney and then talk to an IU nursing student, Kristen Arnspong, and finish off with the owner of Buffaloes just right across the street from the university, Ed Schwartzman. And here's the thing. This podcast is not just to inform students, faculty, and businesses about how it's impacting. It's to give them hope, to let you know you're not alone, to let you know that we are all going through this and we are all having to make cutbacks, setbacks, whatever you want to use, Uh, but that life is in fact going on. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here with this podcast. So without further ado, let's take a listen to what Chuck Carney, spokesperson for IU, has to say about how coronavirus has changed his day-to-day life and what the student's life is like post-corona. Chuck Carney, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate having you on given all that's been going on in your world this past week. I want to start off by asking you a quick question about the decision not to bring students back. When that university sent that email late that one night, you were at the forefront of that. What all played into that decision of saying, you know, we're not even going to risk having students come back here after spring break? Yeah, well, it really was something where it advanced to the point that the decision had to be made. And of course, uh, that was helped by the fact that other colleges and universities around the country were starting to come to that same conclusion, although Indiana University was one of the first to say that we were not going to resume classes at all uh, face-to-face after spring break. So what went into it really was just simply the safety and welfare of our students, faculty, and staff. It became evident as the, the spread of this disease continued on that this was just not something that we would be able to do life as normal and expect to reasonably keep this at bay. You have on a college campus, particularly one of the size of Indiana University Bloomington, a space where a lot of people are necessarily packed together. I mean, imagine in Franklin Hall on a regular day, on a school day, you're going to have 150 people maybe at one point all in that main area so just thinking about the realistic abilities here it was not getting better so that an extra week of spring break was going to make a difference uh, or doing two weeks after spring break was going to make enough of a difference and as we're seeing now with the stay-at-home orders uh, in uh, indiana likely to be uh, extended in other states, it's already been extended. We're in this for the long haul, and that's what we're prepared for. Over the past few weeks, how has the university been working with state and local governments? Has there been a dialogue there going through these decision-making processes? And you know, how has that dialogue been going for you guys as the university? Well, it's been a continuous dialogue, and we've worked really, really closely with the state Uh, all along, and the county government in Bloomington, the Monroe County uh, Emergency Management Department, the uh, Monroe County Health Department, those have been very key and vital partners as we've continued to move along here. So the, uh, the way we have done this is we very early on, and really talking in January, started having discussions with the state about how this was going to develop, Uh, And we started discussing ways that we needed to be prepared. Uh, The meetings at Indiana University started somewhere around January 14th. These are daily meetings about this particular uh, spread of disease because it was clear to us that this was going to be something that could potentially impact Indiana University. uh, And particularly because we're a very international institution, Uh, we thought that there was a chance that even if it didn't spread widely throughout the country, we might have somebody who had been exposed somewhere else that could come back here. Uh, At this point, the international portion of it is not 
as much of a concern because clearly it's spread across the country. But backing up to your question, the state has been a valuable partner all along. And I would say that we have been in constant contact certainly over the last couple of months as this has progressed and we're offering assistance to the state where we can help the state uh, and of course the state has been offering assistance to us uh, when that is possible as well and so it's it's been a constant contact so a lot of so with the um students not returning back to campus for the entirety of this semester now all classes are online so we've learned about the um, option to take an S grade. Can you talk a little about that and how um, that was that decision was made with classes all being online now? Yes, uh, so that is a decision that is really something that needs to be discussed with your particular instructor. Uh, and so it's not something that's blanket across the board for every class uh, that it would be available. And really what it is, is an additional tool given the unique circumstances that we have where a credit could be applied for a student, not a grade, uh, and that would allow the student to continue moving on. This could be important, say, in a class where it's much more difficult to assess a student's progress if it's online. Uh, and you know, hard sciences might fall into something like that. Uh, and for some students, a class might not be as important for the grade point. It might not be a class that's in their major. They might want to seek that option otherwise, but it's mainly so that it's another tool for the instructor to use so that the student can be assessed in a way that gives a credit but it wouldn't be unfair based on what the experience for the class is after the uh, the break. And in most cases, uh, you know, most instructors have an idea of how a student, well, they clearly have an idea of how a student is doing before we even get to spring break. They have grades, they have worked with the student very closely, so that can be done. Uh, but again, for a student to get that, they need to discuss it with the instructor and the real change to the policy was that this could be done essentially midstream. Uh, there was language added by the University Faculty Council that allows students to have this applied because of the particular circumstance that we're in, an emergency circumstance where this is something that could be a fair application of the uh, satisfactory grade as opposed to trying to give a grade in a, in a circumstance that might not be the, the best way to do it. So uh, it's a case-by-case -case basis for every class and every student. Uh, it's not across the board, but we feel like it's something that at least allows us in this unique circumstance to give something that would be fair to the students. Chuck, at this time, is the university aware of any students or faculty who have tested positive for the coronavirus? Uh, yeah, there, we do know of at least two students who live off campus at IU Bloomington who have tested positive, uh, and they have been in isolation for uh, at least a couple of weeks. I think in one case, more than that, three weeks. Uh, and then we have had numerous students who have been in off-campus uh, uh, overseas study who tested positive. I think at last count, we had at least four who had tested positive uh, overseas. Uh, and, uh, and that number may be higher now. The, what is happening at this point, because the, the spread of this has been so fast, we're not necessarily getting informed of students who may have been off campus for some time, uh, who, in, you know, in the case of, of IU Bloomington now, no student's been on campus for three weeks. So they may be tested now, they may test positive, uh, and it just may not be something that we would even know at this point. Uh, this was something we talked about early on in, uh, in our internal meetings that, we were trying to keep up with the number of positive cases, and we have on our website devoted to this coronavirus.iu.edu 
we have under our frequently asked questions, and that being one of those frequently asked questions, how many students have tested positive, we do have a count that we have put there. Um, but in our internal meetings, we discussed the fact that we were gonna to come to a point, given the growth of this, that it was probably going to be difficult to keep up with it. That's kind of been proven true, uh, and a case in point is really with our campus in Indianapolis. Uh, we don't have a complete solid count on IUPUI students or faculty and staff, and that's mainly because the Marion County Health Department has the most cases in the state of Indiana and has been truly overwhelmed. So they have not been able to communicate out with us in the same way that we can in Bloomington at the Monroe County Health Department where the numbers have been a lot lower. Um, so we're trying to keep up with that as much as possible. Uh, we'll continue to talk about positive cases. Certainly, if we feel like we need to make sure those who might have come in contact with someone need to know. But of course, the benefit of being now in this isolation for everyone is that we don't have that many people who are in contact with each other. And that, of course, is the idea. So a lot of teachers have never taught online before, and it's definitely a steep learning curve with switching over to Zoom and not being able to see students every day. How have faculty been dealing with this and what support has the university given them to help with this adjustment? Well, it is an adjustment for a lot of instructors. Uh, instructors who have not largely taught online before, of course, it's going to be a bigger adjustment. And so, and of course, for some classes, it's a bigger adjustment just because of class size. If you've got a large lecture class, that's going to be necessarily a little bit more cumbersome than something that is a discussion class where you have 10 people. Um, the university has uh, set up a website uh, called keepteaching.iu, and that website actually is a decade old, if you can believe that. This was something that was set up with the H1N1 crisis in mind, and it has been developed and uh, updated since then so that it has the latest technology tips and tools available. And that was really a forward-thinking process by our UITS uh, partners, University Information Technology Services, uh, and that was something that they saw could be a need down the road if there was an event that forced instruction to go online. And of course, it's a good resource just in case you want to do more online with your instruction. Say you have uh, an illness yourself and you need to do some coursework uh, by remote, then that helped make it possible as well. But uh, We've been reaching out to faculty, uh, having seminars, uh, having webinars uh, about how to teach online. If this is something that is new to you, the keepteaching.iu resource has a lot of good tools on there. But of course, IU is fortunate in that it's really well set up to move courses online almost at a moment's notice. This is obviously not something that we intended to happen, but through the Canvas tool that we have that all courses have access to, uh, that enables a lot more teaching online readily than it would didn't, had we not had something like that. So we have the tools in place which help us. Now, as you alluded to, some faculty may not have as much experience doing this. They may have been teaching here for a long time and never taught online for the last 20 years, maybe in recent years, have started to as the demand has grown. Uh, we've been working with those faculty as well to make sure that they feel comfortable with the tools that we have. And the other nice thing is, too, of course, I don't know that there's any faculty that don't work with a computer now. And things like Zoom that we're talking on right now are fairly user intuitive. Uh, and so it really helps that the tools are just much better now than they would have been just a few years ago, even five years ago, I would say. So I think we're fortunate that we've already got a lot of things in place, but we have been reaching out actively to faculty. And of course, faculty can consult with people at IU who are specialists in this if they do run into trouble. 
So this pandemic has led the university to make a lot of really difficult decisions, one of those being the um, postponement of commencement and the cancellation of some of the school's individual commencement ceremonies. Are there any new developments on when, if there will be another commencement ceremony, and if the smaller schools ceremonies will um, have any chance of being held in the future? We are making plans to do a, a possible uh, virtual uh, commencement at some point. Uh, what we've got on hold is the regular commencement. Uh, we're going to create a, a special website to provide uh, information that will have to do with these virtual celebrations and acknowledgments. We'll have special video messages. Uh, we're going to do some special things on social media uh, and uh, some other special things. Uh, the other thing, we've been working with Herth Jones to home ship uh, graduate academic apparel to the uh, family, uh, to the, uh, the graduates, and so that they can get family and friends photos around graduation time in May. Um, there will be an online commencement program that's going to be created, and we're going to have a lot of other special celebrations that are still in development. Um, all of this is still in the works a bit, uh, and how this will all roll out, we're still sort of working on, but, uh, but that's among the things that we're working on now. Um, it, it, I will tell you one of the things that I know for President McRobbie personally was most disappointing was having to postpone that commencement ceremony. Uh, and if you notice, that was one of the things, it was one of the last things that was announced. And I, quite simply, the reason for that was we were really, really holding out hope that we could make that happen. And, and I, I don't want to make this about me, but uh, I was supposed to walk and pick up my PhD uh, in that ceremony. So uh, uh, when we talk about feeling it personally, I, I can tell you that I, I for one, do. And uh, all of us at IU who are in these roles of of trying to make these decisions are really, we feel it very personally for all these students. <clears throat> uh, it, it's really, we're, we're hoping to do something special for this class that we'll be having more details that we'll roll out for that will make it memorable. It's not like it's not going to be already, but, but to really make it special because this is, uh, this is the bicentennial class, and that you know you, everybody's been hearing about the bicentennial throughout the year, and they may be tired of hearing about it, but it really truly is something that marks a significant time in this institution's history. So we want that to be commemorated, uh, and we we're not going to just simply have this go away and you know well sorry we missed that and speaking as somebody who planned to walk across the stage and uh, pick up uh, a diploma from President McRobbie myself I can say that uh, we're all vested in making that happen. And, and you know our big goal here is, is we want to be able to spread hope to students faculty and businesses as well at the end of this interview and at the end of these podcasts so I guess you know, the last thing I want to chime in on is something Indiana University has been doing for its students, for the faculty, by providing this financial aid, providing hotspots. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit more on what the university is doing to help students during what has been a very difficult time? And I think yeah. that the main message we, that we want to get across to students is that this is not easy. We recognize that, and we are hopeful that we can alleviate um, financial hardships where we can. Uh, we want to alleviate mental hardships where we can. We're even offering uh, our uh, counseling online. Um, and so if I would encourage students to feel like they're not getting something they need to our Dean of Students office, uh, those folks have been working nonstop uh, with this issue ongoing and they will be helpful and they will do what they can. Um, that said, uh, you know, it's important. One of our leaders 
said to me when I was talking to him just about how to discuss this. And he said, it's really important to note that this is imperfect. This is not something where we're gonna be able to say, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this and this and this, and it's all gonna be set up and it's gonna work great. We just can't say that because this is a unique situation that everybody on earth essentially is facing right now but in this country it's widespread and we are all feeling the pain together and some have pain as far and above others and we recognize that um, so if you're having trouble reach out and let us help uh, where we can uh, but we again recognize that this is not what everybody signed up for for their spring semester and expected to have. Uh, it is what we have and we want it to be successful and we want it to be an IU experience, uh, which is what they signed up for. But um, we hope everybody understands that we're trying to make this as good as we can for everybody. Uh, and we know that it's not gonna be perfect, uh, but we want it to be as perfect as we can make it. Well said. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and uh, hope you and your family stay safe during all this craziness. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you. And you know, Grace Carney right there saying ex exactly how the university has put it um, and adding his own personal anecdote of he was supposed to rock, walk at graduation and receive his PhD and now he doesn't get to do that. Yeah, now it's time that we talk to a student who also is in the same shoes as Carney, a senior that won't be able to walk across the stage and get her diploma. Um, let's talk to Kristen Arnspong. Um, can you tell us a little bit, I know you're a nursing student, um, about how the coronavirus pandemic and going online has really affected your co coursework and how it has changed things for you? Yeah, so our senior spring semester is heavily clinical based. So. Um, one of our biggest classes that we have is our capstone where we're placed with a preceptor and we have to complete 112 hours, I believe it is, um, with them. And mainly through all of our classes, we also have clinicals attached to them and we're not allowed into the hospitals to do any of that. So um, they've had to come up with new ways for us to still get our clinical time because it's not like a school mandated um, kind of, you know, program. It's what an accredited university or nursing programs have to follow by. So I think there's been a lot of adjustments like from that legal standpoint on their end um, with the accreditations, but then also a lot of our stuff is online like virtual simulations, which is just not the same as, you know, being in the hospital. But it's definitely very strange. What are you having to do virtually? Like, can you take us through some of the um, things that they're having you do virtually in clinicals? Um, so we're doing a lot of like case studies. I know um, for one of our leaderships class, they did like the second half of the group wasn't able to complete their 52 hours that they had to do. So they're having to do like a day by day COVID case study um, and kind of fill out that log. Fortunately, I already had, I was in the first half, so I got all those hours in and don't have to do that. Um, all of our PowerPoints are online with like voiceovers and then we're using this virtual online like assessment called Nurse, I think it's called Nurse Tim, to be honest. I haven't been doing that work. I've been doing all my like paper busy work to get that out of the way. But yeah, it's just looking at different patients, like seeing what you your thought process would be for that patient and like implementing and they're just now basically just trying to see how our critical thinking is. Kristen, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate no you. Not only for coming on, but I mean, being a nurse right now, <laughs> you guys are getting a lot of praise on the news, but I, I got to ask, you're, you're seeing what you're seeing on the news. You're seeing nurses post on social media. They're exhausted. They're working hard. Has this whole coronavirus pandemic situation, you know, made you want to be a nurse even more? Or is it almost like brought you back a little bit and said, oh, maybe, maybe not? No, it, it definitely makes me want to be a nurse more and I think the most frustrating part for me personally is that I can't be in the hospital and help right now because you know they don't want anyone in there that isn't uh essential employees so that's kind of frustrating that like this is going to be my livelihood 
come the future time and I can't do anything right now to help them out and, you know, relieve them. We have a bunch of our um, classmates work at Bloomington hospital and our, um, their, uh, care techs and they're working in the ED and they're working on units with COVID. So it's a lot of stress for them too, because they are in there and hands-on. Um, and I know one of our girls has been working like six days a week for 10 hours every single day. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so I know with nursing, you have to complete an exam to get your um, license. Have you taken any steps toward getting that? Or do you know when in the future you're going to be able to get that because of the situation right now? Um, so we can't actually take that exam until we finish our classes. Um, so our graduation date is still May 9th. And so we can take it anytime after that. But the governor in the state of Indiana, at least, um, kind of made an amendment to help with workforce and that anyone that completes their coursework for their university can start working in the hospital's full practice um, without having taken their exam. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of nice, but at the same time, it's, you know, we're in desperate times and you still need to be oriented to your units. So it's you know, bittersweet, like you can get in there and start helping sooner than having to wait to take your exam. But at the same time, there's got to be some training and not just thrown onto a floor and, you know, go swim with the tigers or swim with the sharks. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take, I mean, most of us plan to take, um, we have this program called ATI that we uh, study through and do a bunch of different practice tests. And so when you green light is what they call it, with that, it's basically saying you're ready to take your the board's exam, um, and they recommend you taking it within two weeks of like green lighting it. You're going to be our uh, resident medical expert today on the pod, as you're the only one. We have the nurse we're talking to, the other guy we're talking to owns a business, and the other one's a PR person. So, I guess from you, when you watch the news, when you see what's going on with coronavirus, what for you as somebody in the medical field is the most concerning part? Um, I mean, I guess it's concerning how quickly it's been spreading and that, you know, it symptoms don't show up right away. So, you know, you can think that you don't have it and then all of a sudden you go from zero to a hundred and you're just not okay. Um, so that's pretty concerning. I think to some extent people maybe aren't taking social distancing super serious, um, and it's not to punish people, but because of that reason of you don't know if you have it and you could even just be a carrier and not ever show symptoms, um, you're just putting more people at risk because, you know, that one person goes and hangs out with 10 people, those 10 people get the virus and they're hanging out with more people for another two weeks before they're even symptomatic. So in addition to this affecting people health-wise, it's also affecting people's personal lives. Um, you, for example, probably didn't realize that that week before spring break was your last week on campus. Um, how have you been coping with that while also taking care of your schoolwork and nursing program and everything? Yeah, it's definitely was a shock. It's definitely sad that, you know, I think a lot of people went on spring break not thinking that that would be the last time maybe they saw some of their groups of friends. I know a lot of our nursing students and a lot of students in general have gone home just because, you know, there's not much to do here if you aren't living in Bloomington. Um, so it's, I'm used to being a busybody, so it's definitely been an adjustment to just kind of be home and self-motivate myself to get my work done. Um, you know, being, having to go to class was definitely easier than sitting at home trying to like teach myself and going to work kind of kept me on a schedule. And now it's like, I've definitely had to force myself to follow some sort of schedule and guidelines. So I'm not just you know, saving everything for the last minute. As a student, I mean, you worked so hard for four years to be able to walk at graduation. When you got that email that said commencement was off, what what was that emotion like reading that? Yeah, it was it was definitely tough. So I'm one of the nursing officers for our class. So uh, me, along with two other students, had been spending the last well this past year basically th meetings throughout um, 
the fall and spring semester planning our like nurse specific graduation because there's only our class started with 80 people so we also have our own smaller um, commencement ceremony and so we had gone through and picked out like the name reader the speaker um, our teacher speaker and then a student speaker and, and that's all canceled so it's definitely a bummer especially for students all seniors that this is their first time graduating getting a degree and that's a huge accomplishment uh that you you know you get to and you look forward to not just like walking the stage but being there with your friends and so it's definitely been kind of a bummer we've been talking about doing some sort of virtual graduation for our nursing class but you know i think people are still just really bummed about the whole thing so it's not not going over as well as you would think it would be but we'd rather have something than nothing at all with such a small class you said you started off with 80 people you guys probably got to know each other pretty well mm -hmm. over the course of your years in the program together and you said that a lot of you didn't know that that last day was your last day maybe seeing each other um how have you guys kept in contact how have you maintain those friendships and how are you guys dealing with the fact that that could have been the last time you guys were all together? Yeah, I think even with just graduating in general, you know, when, when you have friends, you don't just lose those friends just because you graduate. Um, I think it was definitely a more abrupt approach and a lot of people had a lot of a whole month left of things that they wanted to do together before graduating. Um, but we have a nurse class group me. So since there's not, I think, I think we're down to like seven, um, we stay in contact that way. Like if we have questions about homework or what we're supposed to be doing, um, cause we're all still kind of figuring it out. We definitely utilize that. I know some people have been doing, you know, zoom meetings with each other and just catching up that way. Um, so yeah, I'm sure once we're able to like travel and move around again, it'll be easier to go see people that are, you know, within an hour or so away from you and then make special trips for those that moved home further. As our student representative on the podcast today, is there any message that you would offer to fellow students at Indiana University who might be in Bloomington, might not be in Bloomington, um, what you would like them to know about this virus and what they should do to better help themselves and their families from keeping this spreading? Um, I think my biggest thing through it all has just been not to consume myself with it. You know, you have to somewhat live a normal life and not let you know social media and all the terrible things that they're only kind of reporting on the bad side of things whereas there's you know a ton of people in other countries that have been cured from uh the coronavirus and i just think having a like mental health is very important at this time and doing things that you you know maybe didn't have time to do and looking at this i think a lot of us in this time can say that you know we're so bored at home like we wish we were with our friends we wish we we're doing this and that's true for everybody but at some point in time when we get back to normal um this is also a time that we're gonna look back and be like man i wish i didn't have to do anything uh so i think just taking it and just making the best that you can from the situation that we're in that you know not worrying about things that you can't change but doing things to keep you busy and occupied that you can and just fixate on that versus anxiety and fear and you know being in that bubble and this podcast is really about hope and finding the hope in this sort of dark time um going off of that what advice would you have to your peers about the situation and the way that things ended for senior year um for all of you guys what would you want to say to them um, I'd probably just say, you know, it's, it is a bummer, but the friendships that you made the last four years don't just disappear because we didn't have a graduation and, you know, again, just make the most of the situation. Maybe it's a perfect time to start planning, um, you know, your friend group to come back and when you're all going to reunite again and what you're going to do and how you're going to celebrate that last um, little bit. I know like people have reached out to like Mark Cuban about graduation and he's getting to work and, I think trying to do like a concert series for all the seniors that didn't get their graduation when we're able to, you know, be back. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for talking to us today and best of luck with the rest of your coursework and getting out into 
the professional field and we're really proud of you and all the work that you're doing. Thank, Thank you. Thank you guys. Enjoy your next two years. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. That's really crazy. I really didn't have any idea that Governor Holcomb had amended those um, qualifications so that people who were still nursing students could get out into the field and help sooner after they'd completed their coursework. What do you think about that, Griffin? I think it's huge. I, you know, you see on the news every single night how short they are on nurse, nurses and doctors and how you have some nurses working, she said it right there, like six, 10-hour days in a week. It's exhausting and especially not just, you know, physically exhausting, emotionally too. You're watching these people uh, in the hospitals not doing well with this, you know, terrible virus. It's got to be able to help alleviate some of that stress. So I think that's huge. But Speaking of stress and speaking of, you know, having stress put on, you got to look at the local business angle, especially local food places. And what better than to talk to one of the best ones in Bloomington. That's why we chatted with Ed Schwartzman from Buffaloes. Let's take a listen. And I guess my first question for you, you know, as a business in Bloomington, um, how has this whole coronavirus pandemic affected you guys right here at home? Well, first of all, thank you for having us, having me on. Um, it's nice to be able to see some faces. Um, we're doing okay. Um, we still have our lights on, which is a huge, uh, is that alone is, is, is saying something, I guess. Um, fortunately, we've always done pickup and delivery. So a lot of customers in Bloomington um, associate us with pickup and delivery. There's a lot of restaurants who did not do pickup and delivery. And I can tell you as a restaurant owner, pickup and delivery is the biggest, it, it, it's not easy to do it. I'm not saying it like we do it so greatly. It's a challenge and every day it's a challenge. And there's been many a time where my wife and I have thought about maybe delivery anymore because th there's a lot of challenges involved in, in accomplishing it correctly. But thank God we still have it because a lot of you know the community thought of us as pickup and delivery. And so we've transitioned, we are 100%, when people call order for pickup, we do curbside pickup and uh, that's worked out well. Uh, you know, the bad news is, is that 80, 90% of all downtown businesses right now are closed. The good news or the silver lining for, for us is there is ample parking around, ample. I mean, you could park on Indiana Avenue, you could park in the back, so what we've done to take advantage of the situation is um, when people pull up, they text us and we will, when they order, they, we text them. When they pull up, they text us that they've arrived. They tell us what vehicle they're driving and where they're parked in front of Starbucks, in front of Cadoba. And then magically within five minutes, we come out with the food. And um, for us, it's working. Obviously our sales are way, way down, but um, also our labor is down because we have, we employ a peak season, which would be right now. I mean, we would be, April is by far our best month. So, I mean, it's not even close how good April is for us. Graduation, a little 500, it's just a great month. And um, uh, right now in the normal circumstances, we'd have 75 employees, but of those 75, 40 to 45 went home right before spring break. And so, um, the 20 to 25 that remain are not only, but sometimes we're pulling over time, which is kind of taboo right now, but we're really busy for dinner and we want to make sure that nobody has to wait any longer than they have to. We want to make sure that the curbside is executed correctly such that they'll come back. So our numbers are, so you asked us, obviously in terms of how we're doing business, in terms of cleanliness, in terms of wearing gloves for everything, Every day when I walk in, I just came back from lunch from the store. First thing I do when I walk in, every employee, I look them square in the eye. How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Because if they have a fever, granted, I think they know that. Heaven forbid they have one and they're hiding it. But so far, we've been very full. Um, what's nice is we're, we're kind of a community, like I said, about 20, 25 people. And I also ask them more about their home life now than ever before, not in a prying way, but how many people live with you? What do they do when they're not um, uh, home? Do they have jobs? And so there's only so much you can do, but I think our little 
network of people so far we've been insulated and as long as we hang out amongst ourselves and we practice the, you know the staging that everyday emails about how to do it you know through, uh, uh, the different uh, restaurant uh, sources that we have um everything is with gloves we wash our hands ad nauseum um and it's working and the uh the customers they get the of it and we're doing it on time for the most is not easy but it's happening and like i said we're not making money but we're not losing money right now and you know nose above water is the new up 30 percent so I saw that you guys created a Venmo to help accommodate for all the people that wanted to donate. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, much you guys have been receiving support from the community in the form of donations? Well, what had happened there, Grace, and that was, I was very reluctant to do, I mean, really reluctant, but what had happened was my wife, right when this whole thing broke, um, my wife, who every Friday you, you, there's a backstory, and that is, feed the uh, kids at the Boys and Girls Club every Friday. Do it out of her own pocket, and I'm going for years. But over time, we realized we couldn't sustain that. So then people would underwrite it. And we'd have different business owners say, "I'll pay for this," week. and we would still prepare the food in our restaurant, but it would be underwritten by Meineke, underwritten by. Um, uh, my brain is, I can't think, but Meineke definitely underwrites them as, as one good, old national bank for sure. And so um, my wife is very in tune the needs of the kids who are most at risk because a lot of these kids who go to the Boys and Girls Club, uh, particularly what the Crestmont Club, if you know what that is, when they go home for the weekend, it might not be the kind of situation that you would want a child to be in for the weekend. And so, um, my wife, would, we, we would provide a hot meal and one that they could also take home some extra food for the weekend. Well, when this, when this all broke and we found out that, uh, you know, school was the Friday before spring break, and I'm talking about MCCSC now, the, the local school. So my wife said, we've got to feed all the kids who get a free or partially funded lunch. And my first response was, are you, are you crazy? And why I said that, I don't know, because you would think I would learn by now, because every time she says something, she's always right. And um, so I said, what are you crazy? And of course I yielded, because that's the only thing I can do. And um, we did it for, uh, and we announcement not to gain favor, but to find people. We said, if anybody knows anybody, because I, uh, I didn't know if the school, I, I, we didn't reach out to the school corp. I tagged them in all our tweets but nobody from the school corp ever reached out to us. I think my wife just yelled, they did. Apparently they did, okay. But maybe later on in the process. But we put it out there on Twitter and Facebook. If anybody knows anyone who's getting free or partially free school lunch, reach out to us through Facebook Messenger and we will feed them no questions. And within a week, we were overwhelmed with um, not necessarily feeding the kids, which we were able to do because my wife's an expert at doing that, but people saying they want to help, they want to help. And we weren't looking for people to help. And people said they want to do something. Well, by the Friday, so we, we fed them for six days and we'd been up to about 150 uh, kids a day, maybe 100 households. And it really was um, inspiring because we were able to do something. This is early on in the shutdown. There was just so much uncertainty about you know, what was going to happen next, although we really still don't know. But it was early on in the quarantine. Um, we were getting so much feedback from the families and the gratitude. They would send us homemade cards and, and some of them would post on Facebook. We would never take their information, but they would do it. Thank us. And staff was getting such a kick out of it because it gave them something to do every day, packing lunches for these kids. And, and so um, after a week of this went by, my wife wanted to do more. And I said, listen, there's only so much we can do. Now, MCCSC had started feeding the kids, even though school's not open, this past Monday, or two Mondays ago, the school said, we will feed the kids, you just have to come to the school to pick up the lunch. So we said, okay, we're not gonna do that anymore, we're not gonna compete with the school. So now what we're doing is every Friday at the Boys and Girls Club, we are dropping off van loads of grocery, food, of grocery bag items. Uh, let me back up, okay, so 
and I'm sorry. Two Fridays ago, we said, okay, we want to keep doing more, but we, don't have, we do not have a bottomless tank of, of money to keep doing this. And plus, our sales are way down. I mean, you know, dramatically down. So I said, she said, I said, what do we do with all these people that want to give us money and donate? So we reluctantly said, okay, we will we'll allow them to donate because it's going to allow us to keep doing what we're doing. And not and not expecting anything, but we said, all right, we'll open it up. And of course, we were overwhelmed with the donations. And so now we are um, uh, feeding the kids every weekend with a giant grocery bag. It includes a five pound tub of peanut butter, uh, mac and cheese that they can make, a loaf of bread, uh, all kinds of protein bars. It's a real grocery bag to sustain the kid for the weekend. Um, and um, what's also nice is there's a lot of corporations that have a not-for-profit division. And so uh, as a result of this, we're talking to our CPA about opening up, and this sounds like a joke, but it really makes sense. Get ready, a not-for-profit wing of Buffaloes. See what you did there. You like that. I like that. I did like Even that. Grace is smiling. So um, we haven't set it up yet because my CPA tells me that there's, there's money involved in setting it up, and I'm trying desperately not to spend any extra money that I don't have to. But once it is set up, then if they do want to help fund it, now the contribution is tax deductible. So if we had a not-for-profit division, it would allow us to, A, when people want to give a contribution, that would be tax deductible, which is attractive. And this is all hypothetical. I don't know if we're going to do this, but we're certainly leaning that way. Things are so fluid, as you can only imagine. And so I think that's going to come out of all of this. Uh, but what we're doing now, as I mentioned earlier, we are feeding the, the kids at the Boys and Girls Club every weekend. We're putting together a really big grocery bag package. And we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing something because uh, it feels good. It's the right thing to do. We've been doing it for years anyway. Um, we love our community. It's, uh, you know, we get, we get accolades for doing this, but honest to goodness, it feels the old phrase is better to give than receive. The staff loves doing it. We love doing it. And uh, it feels good. It just feels good. And um, uh, we, we wish we could do more. Yeah, and I mean, 36%, I'm looking at the stat right now, of children in Monroe County are food insecure. Um, you know, for our listeners at home who don't know what that means, basically 36% of the kids in Monroe County, where, which is where Bloomington is, um, go home not really know where dinner's going to come from that night. So thank you for doing that. Uh, on behalf of Grace and I and the IU students, thank you for doing that. Ed, you, you've mentioned your staff a few times there. How are they doing with all this? Are their energy still up? They, are they still coming to work every day? And are you still fully staffed or you had to cut back a little bit? Well, um, I read somewhere, or heard listen, the statistics are coming every day. Don't watch the news, but if you do, you know, the, the statistics will just blow you away. And one of them was approximately seven people in the restaurant industry have been laid off or terminated. Now, I could say that Buffalo Luis has laid off no one, but it's a little disingenuous, but it's still a fact because about 60% of our staff left to go home on spring break and has not come back. Mom and dad say, no. first of all, there's no, there's no dorm to come back to. But mom and dad, and school is online, so you might as well see where our home is. Much to our home now down here. So we lost a good majority of our staff. So the, the ones who stayed are working, and not only working, but working overtime in certain uh, uh, applications. The attitude has been incredible. We're kind of like a, uh, we're in a, um, what do they call it? A foxhole in the army, where you know, you become, when you realize you're in the foxhole with, with your partners, everybody's got each other's back, you know, you, you built some pretty tight bonds. And other than me driving the staff crazy because they've never seen me this much upstairs working with them every second, as I have the last two weeks as we put in new policies and procedures and they get changed about every three minutes. That's a joke, but oh, we're, 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 we're figuring it out. We're literally making adjustments on the fly to make it better and better. Side is not something we ever did before, and now it's all we do. So um, 
the, the morale is unbelievable. And then the feedback. We talked earlier about what we did with the community, which Jamie and I did out of the goodness of our hearts and mainly her heart. Well, then there's the customers, the feedback they give us, staying when they come in, when they pull up, when we drop the food off, we love what you guys are doing in the community. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. And the staff feeds off of it and loves and loves being part of something that's making a difference, as, as I think everybody would. So you mentioned that most of the restaurants in the downtown Bloomington area are closed. Um, obviously, you guys I don't are... Know. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not, I don't mean... I, I don't know. I know. I know plenty of them are. Um, yeah. But I don't know what percentage. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to get your opinion. Like, how does that, seeing all of these people that you're usually surrounded with having to shut their doors because of the situation, maybe not having enough people or enough um, customers coming in, how does that make you feel seeing this happen around in your, um, your home, your neighborhood, right around the corner? Well, the only kind of, I... I I haven't thought about how it makes me feel because we're so busy. Just every day when I come home, I feel like an alcoholic in the sense that I say to my wife, you know, the alcoholic phrase is one day at a time, right? You don't have to stop drinking for the rest of your life. Just stop drinking for one day, right? One day at a time. Kind of the opposite is true for us. It's okay. We made it through today. We made just enough money that we, it made sense to open up today. So we one day closer to some level of normalcy, whatever that new normalcy is going to be. So I'm more focused on that than like, how do I feel? Because, I mean, I could sit in the corner and cry and then what good does that do? So I, I, I'm an optimist by nature. I try to keep my spirits high. Um, obviously, I feel for, does not just restaurants, any business, the, 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 love, the number of bankruptcies locally, worldwide, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, the, the the dominoes are going to keep tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. Um, so it's a scary time. It really is a scary time. Um, but I think some of the restaurants who closed, um, assuming there are a few, and I'm sure there are, uh, it's their own decision whether or not they reopen. I don't know, and I hope they do. Um, but right now, the only feeling I really feel is incredible fortune, good fortune that I have a place to go to work every day that my wife and I decided that it didn't make sense for us both to go to the store and risk bringing home the virus. So I go, she stays home with the every day. She's in as much as I more. The kids are in school. We run the business together. So, so now we, it's, I'm in every, every day for lunch and dinner, especially dinner, dinner is time for us. It's just because there's only so much food we can run out. We need runners to run the food out to the street and then find the car. And they, get, they told us they're on this corner, but they're on that corner. And there's a little bit of chaos involved. So, um, uh, but, but the feelings that gratitude for what we have, gratitude that I have this business, gratitude that the community supports us, um, and incredibly fortunate to be in this situation. And, uh, you know, we're not printing money, but like I said, we're keeping our nose above water. You're good, Ed. You're good. Hey, okay. I'll, I'll a few questions for you here, and then we'll wrap this one up. I, okay. I, my overarching question I want to kind of finish the theme on. It, when you look at the Bloomington community, when you look at Buffaloes, when you look at, you know, Indiana University, and the situation all three are in right now, what, what gives you hope every day? At the end of the day, you have to choose to be an optimist or a pessimist. You know, there's no uh, extra cost to be an optimist, and it's healthier. I mean, I can sit here and worry all day, but what good will it do? Um, we're, we're being very frugal with our money right now, extremely frugal. Um, so, uh, you know, because we don't know how long this is going to last. This, I'm, we're, I keep thinking two, three more weeks, but who knows? And like I just said, even if we get the green light in two or three weeks, what does that really mean? And how are people going to respond? Um, but what gives me hope is that um, I've got a great wife. I live in a great community. I have a gorgeous. And um, all for tomorrow, I still, you know, I'm in the same boat. The tide raises and lowers all the boats. So there's not much I could do except be in the tide with everybody else. 
Um, but obviously, IU is pretty enduring. Uh, Bloomington is pretty enduring. Buffalo is of the three has been the least, but we've been around since 87, so that's a start. <laughs> and I'm an optimist. Um, but it, it, there's going to be some painful times ahead, there's no doubt. But, uh, you know, today the sun is shining. That gives me hope. Because I got the phone with you, I'm going to go in the backyard and play basketball with my kids. That gives me hope. Grace smiling. Hope. I don't know. Why do you know? I'm an optimist. I think you guys are too. You not. So, Ed, for our listeners that want to help out, what would you say for them to do? What do you need? I'll try to be as brief as I can be, but I love this parable that I use all the time. So imagine that you are in a beach somewhere, in a very secluded, gorgeous, white, sandy beach, only one on the beach, and you have nothing to do and all day to get there, and all day to do it. And you're just walking along this gorgeous cove, beach, blue water, and you see somebody on the other end of the cove doing something, you're not sure what they're doing. And as you walk closer, you notice they're bending down, picking something up, putting it in the water. Down, picking something up, putting it in the water. And as you get closer still, you realize that this whole pool of starfish had washed up on the shore, and now the tide is going out, and the starfish are drying up and they're dying. And this person is gently picking up one starfish at a time and putting it back in the water, but there are thousands of starfish on the, on the, on the shore. And you say to him, you say, sir, what do you do when you can't possibly save them all? You can't possibly save them all. And, and the, the, the individual picks up a starfish and says, I'm making a difference to this one. And I, I've ruined the story somewhat. I, you can't possibly be making a difference. And, this, and the person says, I'm making a difference to this one. And the point being that make a difference wherever you are. You know your community. Grace, you said you're in Indy. Uh, uh, Griffin, you said you're in Greenwood. Where are you right now, Griffin? Carmel. Carmel. Yes, sir. I'm sure there are things you could be doing right now, whether it's running to the grocery store. There's amazing things happening all over. Um, uh, I, I think that, you know, the, just make a difference in your community. Um, go out and walk around your neighborhood and go say hi to your neighbors. We had friends stop by yesterday. That was like a million dollars. That was the greatest thing. I didn't want them to leave. So like, please don't go. Um, so... I think that's the best thing you can do is make a difference wherever you can. It doesn't have to be money. It could just be going out and making a difference to whatever starfish that you want to save. Does that make sense? Well said, Ed. Well said. I I butchered the story, but. um, I think the message is there though. And I think a little message of hope and help right now. So uh, Ed, you know the respect I have for you. I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate you doing what you're doing uh, for everyone in the Bloomington community. Well, thank you. Appreciate appreciate you inviting me on, and I sincerely look forward to seeing both of your smiling faces standing in in 114 South Indiana Avenue at the Gables very soon. Can't wait. Not soon enough. Thank you, Ed, and uh, have wings for us, please. Go Hoosiers. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. So, Grace, obviously so good to hear uh, from Ed Schwartzman of Buffalo. He's one of my favorite people in Bloomington. I think after, you know, after that, I think you're, he's one of your favorites too. I, I mean, the guy's just such a huge personality and huge heart for Bloomington. Yeah, it's really amazing to hear about all the ways in which, you know, he's trying to keep his business afloat, but also still um, trying to help the members of the Bloomington community, the kids in Bloomington, um, find food even while he's still trying to make sure that he can keep his doors open, really shows how selfless he is. Truly, truly is very selfless. Uh, That's the end of our Hitting Home podcast this episode we're going to be back in a few days with another one interviewing all new people about how coronavirus has been impacting their daily lives for grace ibarra i'm griffin (laughs) wow (laughs) my goodness we'll try that again um i love making fun of matt i miss matt because who's your football Did you get that on video? No, I just took a picture so I could send it to Matt. Okay. 
All right, ready? We'll try that again. Okay. And, and Grace, I think you see it right there. Uh, Ed Schwartzman at Buffalo. He's one of the best personalities in Bloomington, and he's got one of the biggest hearts in Bloomington as well. Yeah, it was really incredible to hear about how, while he's still trying to keep his doors of his business open, he's still making the effort to make sure that kids in Bloomington get meals every day, get meals on the weekend when they can't. Um, so really amazing to see, you know, all these other businesses that have to shut their doors, but Ed is still going out of his way to give food to those who can't afford or find food. Well, that's going to wrap up Hitting Homes podcast today, covering all the effects of coronavirus on Bloomington, from faculty to students to businesses. When we come back in a few days, we're going to have all three new interviews for you, talking about what the classroom is like now and what other businesses are being affected by coronavirus. For Grace Ibarra, I've been Griffin Gonzalez. We'll see you next time here on Hitting Home, Coronavirus' Impact on Bloomington.